Let's hear some of that movie chat. Credits roll by and I tip my hat. Credits roll by, I wanna know more right away. Let's have some of that movie chat. Credits roll by, tell me who did that. Life in the credits is where I wanna play. Welcome to Life in the Credits. This is a show where we learn about entertainment by chatting with people who work in the industry. I'm Susan. And I'm Ben. And today we're discussing the film Shrek 2. And joining us today is our special guest, Alicia Zapar. So welcome, Alicia. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Alicia. Hey, thank you all so much for having me. I'm super excited. Yes. It's a pleasure to have you. So can you get us started today by telling us a little bit about what you do in the entertainment world? Oh my gosh. Yes. Let's let's dive right in. So my name is Alicia Zafar and currently a producer for the digital and social team at The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, CBS, Paramount Plus, all the good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been at the show for almost six years. It'll be six years in October. Nice. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So could you tell us a little bit more about what that role means and what you do? For sure. Yeah, I should also mention as well. um, I am also the apprentice program supervisor. That's kind of my side gig at the show. So um, at The Late Show, we have a rotational program where we bring in two candidates every year who get to rotate through all the different departments, really get to learn the ins and outs of production. So that's a secondary part of my job. But the first part, being a producer for the digital and social team, is essentially curating the entire show for the internet, right? Hmm. Because I feel like in today's day and age, It's very rare that people are staying up until 1135 to watch the show live, right? right? right. Like you're consuming it on YouTube. You might see a TikTok of like a guest interview. You might see something on Instagram of one of our, you know, act twos or like a field shoot. So our job primarily on the digital social team is to kind of repurpose the show for each platform and to make it the most accessible for each individual platform. Because as you know, every social media platform is just a little bit different. Sure. And then on top of that as well, we do a lot of um, digital extras. So if we have guests coming through, whether it's a musician, artist, politician, we might pitch them a fun little digital bit that we can do with them in their green room. So that can be anything from something like pop quiz, which is essentially the newlywed game for any kind of groups or, you know, duos that come on the show. And that's essentially, you know, we sit them down in the green room, ask them some questions about each other, get them to tease each other a little bit. And then edit that into a fun little digital extra. We also do a bit called food court, which is uh, when we have different people break down their favorite foods. Like say we have a guest from a particular country on or promoting a specific kind of show around a certain cuisine that gives them the opportunity to kind of go a little bit further than they would go in the interview because the digital bits are pretty much just all about them. Whereas the interview, it's a lot of like back and forth with Steven, which of course is like so lovely and enjoyable. And then additionally, we also do all of the behind the scenes content. So if you are ever scrolling through YouTube, I highly recommend checking out a series called Late Show Me More. It's essentially our peek behind the curtain. So if you're a guest coming through and you're a fan of the show and you love that guest, you can see them entering the theater, chatting backstage with Steven maybe giving us a quick little like, oh my God, I'm so excited straight to camera, um, which is a ton of fun. So lots to do on the digital social team. It's much more than just like crafting a tweet or posting an Instagram story. And I think that's a, that's a pretty common misconception in the digital yeah. social space. Yeah. It sounds like you kind of do all different kinds of clips then because you're repurposing the show, but then you also have to get to come up with your own content. So do you guys have your own writers for that team or do you do the writing or do you work with the writer's room from the show? 
Yeah. So, I mean, it can really vary and depend um, when it comes to like copywriting. That's mostly, mostly the digital social team. Yeah. Of course, like first and foremost, the priority is matching the tone of the show, right? Like the yeah. late show is Stephen Colbert's voice. We want to be true to that. We want to be respectful of that. So, you know, always trying to kind of mimic that tone or even like pull quotes from the actual show to kind of match um, the clip is often key. Like, for example, if we have a guest interview and they have like a really impactful or powerful soundbite, we'll often use that as the copy. But we often, you know, we do work with the writer sometimes too. Like if a writer has a really fun idea for something that might not necessarily make it into the show, there is a chance that we could then produce it for social. And of course, you know, we're constantly working with the writers to make sure our content matches that voice. So it's definitely a back and forth. Yeah, very cool. So when you're actually figuring out like what to put on the web, do you just watch each episode and like say, hey, you know, that's a great clip. That's a great clip. How, what does that process look like? Oh, man, it is a process. Let me tell you. I mean, so we typically tape it around 5.30 p.m. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, we taped most commonly the same night that the show is going to air. So we kind of have two teams going at once. There's the team that's downstairs in the theater that's capturing all of the content behind the scenes. So that's often myself and then um, one of our associate producers or production assistant. And we are watching the show in real time. Like we are on stage and not only are we capturing guest moments, but we're paying attention to the audience and how they're reacting. Yeah. Right. So if we have, I don't know, like Dwayne, the rock Johnson on, I don't know why he just popped into my head, but say <laughs> he has like a really fun moment or he's promoting a movie and the audience like erupts in laughter or, you know, say we have a really impactful politician on who says something that really resonates with the crowd immediately I'm whipping out my phone and messaging the team to be like, Hey, like this would be a really great guest clip for tonight. Right. But mm -hmm. then we also have a team of people upstairs who are watching the show feed and they're the ones who are kind of deciding like, Ooh, okay, this moment did well, this moment looks good. This would clip well. So it's really kind of a big team effort on all of our parts. Cool. So how long is your day then when you're working on the show? Yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna lie to you. It's a pretty long day. Um, you know, in a perfect world, <laughs> my shift typically is supposed to start a little bit later in the day, like okay. maybe 12 o'clock or one. Um, but just, you know, we have different rotations for each shift. So there's like a morning squad, there's an afternoon squad, there's an evening squad, but because we are so collaborative, like my day starts at 12, but like I'm answering emails at maybe like nine or 10, I'm responding to Slack messages um, and then the nighttime team is really supposed to kind of take over when it comes to pushing the clips, writing the copy, and then physically posting online. Mm -hmm. um, but again, I think, you know, we we are such a team in the sense of like, if someone is down or out sick or working on, you know, a different edit for another project, we all kind of like to step in and help each other out. So the days are long, but it's definitely, it's it's a fun and collaborative environment. So it's fun. Yeah. I mean, if you're enjoying it. I mean, it probably goes a lot faster than oh, sure. a typical work day. <laughs> oh my God. If there's a guest on that you're excited about, yeah. like <laughs> it's just such a treat, you know? Yeah, definitely. Do you have a favorite guest that's been on the show? You know, what's funny. People ask me this a lot and I should really, I should have an answer prepared. I should, because, <laughs> you know, we've had so many really incredible guests and it, it sounds kind of crazy, but you almost get amnesia. Like yeah. every oh, week yeah. the show happens and you look back and you're like, who the heck? was on our show. Like I could not even tell you. So can you tell us about your path toward this career? So maybe your background in college, high school, other stuff you did that led you to where you are now. 
Yeah, I know. Great question. I'm going to go way, way back here real quick. I'll try to, I'll try to speed through this. So I grew up in a household where um, my father is Pakistani Muslim and my mother is Irish Catholic. And both of them come from immigrant families, right? So typically when you immigrate over to the United States, they came right through Ellis Island. They all settled in New York city, my dad's family in Queens, my mom's family in Brooklyn. And they were all very kind of like blue collar, working hard, trying to like make the American dream come true. Right. And often, like, especially on my my dad's side of the family, the Pakistani side, you know, there's a big kind of push, like you got to be a doctor or a lawyer. And if you're Mm -hmm. neither of those things, you are unsuccessful. (laughs) And then on my mom's side, you know, we had a lot of we have nurses and um, teachers, police officers, like, again, just kind of that that kind of really hard work ethic. So television and entertainment was never ever something that was like universally understood, right? You know, but um, ever since I was little, you remember, and maybe I'm aging myself here. Remember those cameras that you literally physically put the VHS tape in? Of course, yeah. So that was like all I ever wanted as a child. And I don't know why I was just fixated on it. I couldn't tell you the first time I saw one, but the second I realized that you could physically make a video yourself and then watch it on the TV, I was mesmerized. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I like begged and begged and begged. And finally, my parents, they played this horrible trick on me. They got me one for Christmas, but they kind of hit behind the tree. So I opened up all my presents and my last present was a barrel of monkeys Y'all remember that game? Oh, sure. Yeah. And I started hysterically crying because I was like, all I wanted was a camera and all I got was a barrel of monkeys. (laughs) (laughs) And and to this day, my family still makes fun of me because lo and behold, behind the tree, they were like, no, keep looking. And there was my camera. I'm also um, I'm the oldest of three. So naturally, you know, you're you're kind of the boss in the house when you're the oldest of all the children. So I would like dress my brother and sister up. We had a series called Tomboy and Fashion Baby where (laughs) they were like, yeah, they were like secret agent spies. And, you know, we would go outside in the basement and I'd be like, action, cut. Just like absolutely (laughs) screaming at them when they wouldn't, you know, act the part completely, which is ridiculous. They were like seven or eight years old. But anyway, I'm sure everyone in this in this industry has that same story of like just (laughs) always kind of knowing it was something that you wanted. So when I got to school, I studied media production. Um, I went out to LA and I interned for a summer. My first internship was at CBS, actually, which is ironically the company I work for now. Yeah. Um, And it was in the entertainment diversity and casting department. So that was a super sick internship. Um, I had sat down and applied to like 50 internships that spring break. Everyone else went off and like did something fun. And I sat at home and it was like, I need to get a job. (laughs) Um, And I got really lucky because I went to Temple University in Philadelphia. So I really had no business being out in Los Angeles. But Mm. I, you know, I thought I was and here's a little entertainment trick. I don't know if it still works today. But every single resume I submitted, I would like tailor it to whatever the company was. Yeah. So I would change the color scheme. I would put their logo on it. I would try to match the font. And I did that with CBS and I put like the CBS eye on my resume and the woman called me and she was like, Oh, this is so cute. Did we do that? Or did you do that? I was like, that was me. I did it. Someone noticed. Um, so that was really worth it. All that work. Yeah, it was so worth it. So then, yeah, so I, I went out and interned for them and essentially they were doing a diversity sketch comedy, sketch comedy showcase. Um, so all the big networks tend to do this every year. They 
bring in like a bunch of different diverse writers and actors and they really give them a platform to like showcase for a bunch of different talent agents and representation. So basically for the whole summer, like my job was to have people come in and like try to make myself and these high level executives who I had no business being like in the midst of and trying to make them laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was when I was like, oh my gosh, comedy, come on. W- what better, what better to work in than, than this space. Right. So from there, I went back to school. I got some news internships. Um, and then following graduation, I applied for the NBC page program. Um, which have y'all seen 30 rock? Yes. Yeah, no, of maybe? <laughs> and at the page, I mean, yeah. <laughs> the pinnacle of success oh, was yeah. what I had achieved. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what more could you want? <laughs> yeah. But, um, so yeah, that was really the big introduction. I would say the page program and I mean, shout out to the NBC program. Truly, they call themselves the gold standard and they really are just the experience you get rotating through different departments, working with not only, you know, big executives and people within different facets of the industry, but like the network of the pages themselves yeah. was huge. I am so beyond grateful and always will be for that opportunity and just, you know, the friendships, the connections, um, because now everyone's kind of all over the industry and it's really exciting to see people's careers grow and thrive from, you know, back in the day when we were mostly fresh out of college, just right. trying to make names for ourselves in the city of a uh, grand old New York. <laughs> yeah, it is fascinating because a lot of people have gone through that program that we've spoken to. Um, and it's kind of cool because they're like, hey, you know, or they've taken classes with other people or some kind of like, you know, educational program when they're younger and the cool thing is is a lot of those people stay in the industry and then rise up through the ranks right so then they that's sort of the base of your network right so you can actually make friends with those folks and then as they get into higher higher positions you guys can help each other out which is kind of cool to see Mm -hmm. yeah it's like a genuine networking where you become like connected and friends and then you can watch each other rise up it's cool yeah yeah. 100%. And honestly, I feel like when you're fresh out of school, you kind of don't know anything different. You just assume everything is going to feel like, oh, I'm in a class with all these people and we're going to learn together. Yeah. And I think when you're in it, you don't realize like how incredibly rare and valuable that is. And yeah, even moving forward, like I'm still so amazed and so proud of, you know, everyone in my cohort and beyond just the absolutely amazing things they're doing. It's really exciting to see. Yeah, definitely. Very cool. So how did you end up working then in the digital realm? Yeah. So honestly, after I did the rotational at the um, NBC page program, I I kind of had made up my mind at this point that I really wanted to work in the late night space, specifically, you know, late night comedy and NBC super competitive. Obviously there's Saturday Night Live, Jimmy Fallon, Seth Meyers, all incredible shows. So many interns, pages, candidates to choose from. Um, And, you know, I thought, to get in here somehow, but I was worried that I wasn't going to be able to. And then I saw the late show had this apprenticeship open. Um, and I had found it online and essentially it was kind of a mini or a more, more mini, what is the word? A smaller version of the page program in the sense that instead of hiring on, you know, 25 people at a time, they hired on two. Yeah. So I applied for that same kind of process, bunch of interviews. I was very fortunate um, to get in. I had reached out to my old supervisor way back in the day from being, you know, a little peewee intern out in Los Angeles. And luckily it all worked out. I got in and from there, you know, you're still rotating, right? So I worked in the talent department, the segment department. And then finally um, a digital producer was leaving to go work somewhere else. So typically 
for the apprentices, a big part of it is kind of helping fill a need when there's a department that needs extra hands. So I kind of landed in the digital department and very quickly I realized like, wait, this is kind of a microcosm of the macrocosm that is the late show, right? Like we were kind of our own little production island. We could like produce extra digital bits. We could edit, we could write copy, we could, you know, publish things and think of fun concepts that existed outside of the show. And I thought that that was a very rare and unique opportunity within the late night space, especially because, you know, so much of our show is dedicated to the guest segments, obviously the monologue act two, and it's such a machine and it's so well oiled and so incredible, but digital kind of felt like kind of like a free range of, of sorts. Yeah. You're, you're not as committed to a formula in digital, right? You can be a little more abstract or, you know, just, yeah, explore a little bit more. Exactly. Cool. So, and I, I think I really enjoyed that. And the team is so fun. So many creative people um, with so much talent and ambition and, you know, being just like a young wide-eyed apprentice, I was like, these people are awesome. <laughs> I want to work here. Um, and luckily at the end of the season, you know, this was early on at the late show. I, I believe I started in season three. So we were still kind of in the process of staffing up and I just got really lucky that something opened and I was able to stay forever. Yeah. That's awesome. That is cool. So what do you have to do to keep up with everything that changes with social media, given that that's a big part of your job is posting on those different outlets? Oh man, that's a great question. Yeah. Uh, Just unfortunately being a constant consumer of all things, social media, which is, I guess, such a catch 22, because when you work in something that is so like relevant and exciting and like so topical in the world, I mean, it's great. Um, but you know, I roll out of bed every morning and the first thing I do is check our Instagram, check our TikTok, (laughs) check our Twitter, see kind of what's trending out there in the world. What's relevant, not only to like Steven and the late show, but to like you know, the world in general, like what funny memes are going around, what trends are going on. Um, luckily I have a little sister who's seven years younger than me. So she, uh, you know, she really knows all of those TikTok (laughs) things and she will teach them to me. Probably (laughs) cut her a little paycheck on the side. Maybe I will. Um, yeah, just being a constant consumer and I'm not going to lie. It can definitely be overwhelming at times just because social media, it never stops. The internet goes and goes and goes. It's not like the show that, you know, is an hour long every night. And once it's done, it's done. Like the internet is, is ever, ever going and ever flowing. So just really trying to be a student as much as a, I don't want to say the word master. That feels weird, but like a student, as much as a, as a creator, you know? Yeah. Right. Does your sister realize how much influence she has over late night TV? Oh my God. Listen, can you tell her that? Because I don't think she'll listen to me if I try. No, it's, it's pretty wild. And even, um, you know, a lot of the things we have in the works Mm. with like these huge musicians and guests, I feel like it's, it's just as much of a win to book them as it is to like produce a TikTok with them. Yeah. Which is like where the numbers come in. And Mm. even, you know, I'm not sure if y'all are familiar with like a bunch of, you know, K-pop groups. Yeah. But, you know, no. artists, <laughs> I appreciate no. the honesty. <laughs> you know, artists like BTS, Blackpink, Twice, these like huge, huge, you know, K-pop fandom groups that come to the Late Show. And of course, like to the typical, you know, CBS viewer who tunes in at 1135, they might not be so familiar. Right. But right. The, the internet and the international audiences in the world at large, like they resonate 
with these artists so much. Yeah. So when we're able to book them and then, you know, produce a digital extra with them online that really taps into their fan base, yeah. it almost creates a stronger connection with those audiences and the late show because they don't just see us as like, oh, they're just another late night show. Right. They're like, oh, like this is an environment that understands what we understand and love. So now we're going to emotionally invest in them. Right. That's yeah. cool. And that's awesome. And, you know, late night traditionally has had like a, I feel like a pretty staunch, like strict demographic or like pretty defined mm-hmm. one. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, what you're doing just like shows like, no, late night can be for you. And it just really expands the scope and also keeps it relevant. Right. Right. Because you're finding those new audiences. I think that's really cool. You know, as you're getting into, you know, different platforms and stuff, you had mentioned wanting to maintain, you know, Stephen Colbert's voice, right, which is very hard to do. You know, I'm a big Stephen Colbert fan going back to his daily show and Colbert Report days, all that jazz. Um, So how do you maintain that voice? How do you make sure that, you know, the content you're putting out still reaches a new audience and, and appeals to a new audience while maintaining that sort of late night show, you know, vibe? Yeah, no, I mean, great question. And truly, like, that is the first thing that you always have to think of, right? Because at the end of the day, like, it's the late show with Stephen Colbert. So it has to be true to like, Stephen's values, what Stephen, you know, thinks works, what's funny, what, you know, what goes here and there. So I think, obviously, you kind of have to like, walk a fine line, right? Because if there's like a crazy new internet trend, that's, you know, popping off on TikTok, chances are like, we're going to have to explain these things in in, uh, different pitch meetings, especially things that go into the show. We did a really fun um, TikTok dance with uh, Stephen and Tom Hanks. (laughs) And that kind of like aired onto the show. Um, But that is a great example of like, there was a trend. It was very well known. The internet was obsessed with it. And here was Tom Hanks, who, you know, American icon, Stephen, of course, has a great rapport with him. Their interviews are always so fruitful but kind of marrying those two things of like, all right, it's TikTok, but it's also Tom Hanks. Why not both? (laughs) (laughs) And then um, in terms of mirroring that voice, you know, again, like pulling a quote that was said or using a description that like truly honors what was happening in that moment for copy is always kind of the lens we're going through. And luckily we have like a, a wonderful team and so many people that are, just so in the know with him. I mean, I've been working at the show for six years, but I work with people who have been with him since the Colbert Report, right? Mm -hmm. So these people really, really know him and his voice and kind of what the late show audience is looking for. So just really trying to stay true to that is is the biggest way to do it. And it seems like Stephen Colbert, and I get this impression with like Conan O'Brien too, they both seem like they're very open and willing to like learning about new stuff and learning about stuff from generations younger than them. So does that help you? I mean, that seems like it would make staying true to his voice easier just because like part of his voice is, oh, I do want to learn about all this stuff and get exposed to it and find out what it's about. Oh my, I think he's one of like the most intellectually curious people I have just ever, ever not only worked with, but just experienced in my whole life and just his desire and his want to not only like learn something, but to fully understand it and to understand the origins of it and why it resonates with people, whether it's with a guest or what's going on with the world. Like he is just so excited to take on those things and he loves to learn. And I don't, I think he has like a photographic memory. I truly have no idea how he maintains so many details and information, but it's just, yeah, that helps a ton. I mean, it's definitely a, a rare situation and we're lucky to have that. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. 
Well, Alicia, what's the most challenging part of your job? Oh, man. One is keeping up with everything. Um, Two can definitely be burnout. I think when you're working in the digital space, you're kind of expected to be like a Jack or Jill of all trades. Like we shoot, we edit, we produce, we write copy, we post, we create thumbnails. Like we're videographers and cinematographers and photographers. And it's so wonderful to be able to get all of these skills, but it can also be very draining. So Mm -hmm. kind of leaning on your team when you need them has been something huge. Like I'm a very type A person. I don't know about y'all, but like, I just want to do it all myself. Like if if I can do it, I will do it and I won't need your help. I'm just going to get it done. But I think as I, as I kind of mature in my career, that's something that I've been trying to embrace more. So yeah, I would say burnout can definitely be the biggest part. That makes a lot of sense. Totally. (laughs) So you have also done some improv and sketch just in your personal life. And I know a lot of people in late night have that kind of background for either one or the other or even stand up. Do you feel like that's helped you with your job in digital production? Oh, tremendously. I think, you know, I am I am not a sketch or improv expert by any means, right? Like I've been super fortunate to take classes at like UCB and the People's Improv Theater in New York. Um, I did some stuff at the Second City in Chicago, which was so great. Yes. I mean, number one, like being around such creative people, I think is always a great motivator, yeah. right? It kind of forces you out of your comfort zone and makes you react a little bit quicker and try to think like, okay, how would this person do it? Yeah. Or how do I yes and this moment right now? Mm-hmm. Um, but it, but it super helps, you know, also too, I work with a bunch of comedy nerds. You yeah. got to keep that in mind, like right. talking about improv or sketch or form or, you know, different, different aspects of, of, of such performances. It definitely helps. And you can see, especially with the writers and with everybody, like even the segment producers, just knowing how certain guests are going to like, perhaps at a reactor, like riff off of a certain question or moment. It's all very helpful. And you know, for me, a big part of my job is being downstairs backstage, like perhaps with a guest and, you know, everyone comes with a different demeanor. You might expect how someone could be, and then they could be completely different. Um, and a a big part of the job too, is trying to make everybody feel comfortable downstairs because, you know, I'm I'm probably going to put a camera in their face and ask them to wave hi or do an Instagram tune in or answer a fun question for social. So, you know, reading people and trying to match the moment and match the energy is a huge part of improvisation and definitely a big credit to how I tackle those moments at work. Nice. Cool. So one question we like to ask all our guests is, do you have any moments from your career that are either a favorite moment or a moment where like, I can't believe this is what I get to do for a living? Oh man, I feel like so many, truly anytime, like I get to produce a digital bit with a guest that I'm excited about is such a wonderful moment. Um, you asked me earlier who my favorite guest has been. I really don't have one. We've had so many, but yeah. something that sticks out. Um, y'all know who Ben Schwartz is? Of course. Yes. Parks and Rec, yeah. Hedgehog. I mean, come on, an icon. <laughs> um, <laughs> he agreed to do a bit with us called Feature Film Faves, which is essentially he breaks down his favorite feature film. And we ask different questions like, how would you recast this? What was a great moment? Break down the characters. And He was just such a delight and exactly what you thought he would be. And I'm a very expressive person. Like I move my head a lot. I move my hands a lot. And people are polite. Like they never really call me on it. They probably are just like, oh, this overexpressive girl. (laughs) Um, And I was explaining something to it and he was making fun of me. He was like, oh, you're like shaking your head and making funny movements and just like, you know, being like the improvisational bench who you would um, expect. Yes. 
And I have never been so honored to be like called out in such a way, you know? (laughs) Um, And I think it just created a really fun environment in the room and he absolutely crushed the bit and it was, you know, super exciting to produce. Also going back to K-pop, I produced a bit with um, Blackpink, which is a huge, you know, all-female K-pop group. They're fantastic. Um, And I think it got like 9 million views. Wow. Our YouTube, which is like definitely overperformative, which was awesome. Yeah. And that was like way back in the day when I was a production assistant. So that was super cool. That is fun. So, yeah, I think seeing ideas come to fruition is definitely a good, a good staple of, of proudness at the late show. Yes. Excellent. That's awesome. Yeah. We got to see when Ben Schwartz, speaking of improv, he did that tour where he, Ben Schwartz and friends, and he just did long form. which is crazy because you know like whose line is super popular and that's all short form like game improv but like we got to see him at um this huge theater in chicago doing long form improv on stage and i'm just like who would have ever thought that like this many people would come to a long form improv show to be fair i think a lot of the people did not understand what was happening that's okay they still laughed (laughs) we did and we loved it but it was really cool to see yeah that's incredible and i'm sure i'm sure he absolutely crushed it and it was probably fully worth it yeah we loved it it's like a superpower yeah oh yeah for sure well alicia we got one more question for you before we move on talk about the movie that question is what advice do you have for people who want to get into either you know the late night world just the television world or just entertainment in general well entertainment it's as as y'all know i'm sure you've discussed with everyone there there is no path right like there's mm-hmm. no degree you can get there's no job that you acquire that's going to put you on this like exact path to work in this industry but i think something that can really be beneficial and just not only make you a great professional, but like great for this industry is just genuinely saying yes and being adaptable, right? Like even if the job at first or the task that you're given isn't necessarily something that like is your dream of all dreams, like say your dream is to be a comedy writer. That's a fabulous dream. Wonderful. On the road to get there, you have to be willing to roll up your sleeves take on the production assistant jobs, the key grip jobs, the freelance social media gigs, anything to kind of like get your foot in the door, but also show people on a team of people where perhaps you want to work that you're reliable, that you're ready to take on different tasks and that you're going to have a great attitude about it. You know, so many people, especially like in our internship program, the late show is awesome because we don't only take interns who are currently in school right? Like you could have just graduated. You could be a veteran. You could be out, you know, out of school for a while. And I think the best interns in in my mind are the people who just like come in, they're ready to work. They're proactive. They see or foresee something that might need some extra TLC or attention. And they just kind of like take it on. The best piece of advice anyone ever gave me was like, if I can work a 12 hour shift with you and still want to grab a beer with you after, then I'm going to want to hire you. Yeah. And I think not enough people realize like how being like a normal, good, easy to be around person, how far that can go. Yeah. And like reaching out, not being afraid. Like I I get that in today's world, like you message someone on LinkedIn or social media, or you try to set up an email and let's be honest, like nine times out of 10, you probably won't hear back from anybody. But if you do hear back from someone and you make a genuine connection with them, like follow up, don't be afraid to update them. Don't be afraid to say like, hey, I saw this job. 
And, you know, I think perhaps my skill set would match, but, but not going in with like the expectation. Sometimes people reach out and be like, Hey, I see this job. Let's, let's connect. And I think the better way to do that is like, Hey, I really like the career that you've made for yourself. I would love to just get an informational from you. And, you know, people love to talk about themselves. Why are we here right now? I'm just going (laughs) on and on about myself. So let's get to our featured film. Tara discussing the 2004 animated film Shrek 2. It was written by William Steig, Andrew Adamson, and Joe Stillman. It was directed by Andrew Adamson. Kelly Asbury and Conrad Vernon. It stars Mike Myers, Eddie Murphy, Cameron Diaz, Julie Andrews, John Cleese, and Antonio Banderas. It was nominated for two Oscars for Original Song and Best Animated Feature Film of the Year. So Susan Q gives a quick breakdown. What's this movie about? Yeah, so this is chapter two of Shrek and Fiona's life. They start out, this is after they've gotten married. They've moved into a Spoilers. Town. Right. Well, that's right at the beginning. <laughs> I bet spoilers for <laughs> movie one. Shrek 2, not having seen Shrek, pause it and go back and watch Shrek. So they're, they've moved into his swamp. Um, they're very, very happy together. And then she gets this invitation from her parents in far, far away to come meet them and get their blessing on her marriage. Shrek immediately does not want to go because he's like, we're ogres. They're going to like kick us out of there with like torches and pitchforks. We're not safe. But she's like, we really need to go. These are my parents. You know, I want you to meet them. I want them to meet you. So they and Donkey go off and they get too far, far away. And just like Shrek predicted, the reception is less than warm, especially between Fiona and her dad, which I think is King Harold. Yeah, King Harold, played by John Cleese. He and Shrek do not get along. Also, there's the fairy godmother in the mix who is trying to get Fiona to marry her son, Prince Charming, partly for because some deal that her dad made that I won't spoil that part yet, even though we'll probably talk about it. But um, yeah, so that's sort of the setup for this movie. There's this tension between the dad, Shrek, Fiona, Prince Charming, Fairy Godmother, um, Donkey, and Puss in Boots are also there. Oh, yeah, <laughs> and them. Yes. Cool. So before we get too far into it, Alicia, you chose this movie for us to watch. Why did you choose Shrek 2? Oh, man. I mean, I we could do like a whole other hour on this, yeah. but we won't. We won't. <laughs> we might. We'll see. <laughs> I mean, listen, Shrek 1, phenomenal movie. Yeah. Shrek 1 walked so Shrek 2 could like pull vault through the sky and <laughs> ascend all of, you know, cinematic expectations for what an animated sequel should be. <laughs> Shrek 2 to me is just... Oftentimes, you know, the first movie is fantastic. Shrek 2 is the only movie I can say in all earnest that I believe is better than the original. And I know that's a hot button issue. I get into many fights with my partner's family about this, with my family about this. But I just also to keep in mind, biased opinion, I work in the entertainment industry. I've lived in Los Angeles. I live in New York City currently where I work. It's a big old spoof on Hollywood, yeah. right? Yeah. They go to far, far away. You meet the fairy godmother. You meet Prince Charming. Like it's a very eclectic cast of characters that just come with all of these funny little antics and secret agendas. So mm-hmm. to me, I'm kind of like squealing in my seat thinking it's so funny because I've seen all of these people in real life, right? right. Yeah. Right. Also, Shrek 2 introduces some of the most iconic characters of the franchise. I mean, we have Puss in Boots, Antonio Banderas, Mm -hmm. Julie Andrews playing the Queen, John Cleese. You know, we have Prince Charming. We have so many people who, Mongo, which is the giant version of Jinji. Like, it's just really further 
expanding on the world and giving so much more insight to Fiona, right? We always, first movie, she's a princess trapped in a tower. A curse was put on her, like blah, blah, blah. Like, okay, we've seen that song and dance so many times. Now we're learning where she came from. Now we're understanding these expectations of her family and of the environment where she grew up in. She, She grew up in Hollywood, essentially, right? Like her whole identity is based on like being beautiful and appearances and you know, obviously that drastically changes when she later transforms into an ogre, Mm -hmm. but kind of seeing those dynamics play out and seeing how they're impacted by this like grand change and even Shrek turning into hot Shrek. I mean, come on. That was, when else are you going to see donkey turn into like a beautiful white stallion and Shrek turn into like this hunk? Yeah. Um, I just think it, it did such a beautiful job of one, like satirizing this, this notion of like Hollywood and celebrity and, you know, stardom but also kind of telling a very wholesome story where you find out like, oh, her father, I'm spoiling this whole movie also. (laughs) Finding out that her father is like the toad that gets kissed by the princess and then suddenly is a prince. Like what? What a plot twist. You're going to sit here and judge your daughter for marrying an ogre when your whole life is a lie. Yes. I just, I I live for the drama. It's one big soap opera, but I'm curious, (laughs) what did y'all think about it? What are your opinions? I think it's really, it's so funny. Mm -hmm. Like you laugh pretty much the entire time other than a few like pretty tense moments, but like, and there's so many little, they do such a good job with all the little side jokes in this movie. Like when they get in the carriage, the onion carriage to go to far, far away. The other characters, I mean, like, we'll watch over your house and they run in and start having a party instantly. And the, the one of the blind mice runs into the door on his way in. It's just, it's so well written. It's such a good kids movie that, but I, that's not really just a kids right. movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is certainly at that time where they, like, they started putting a lot of jokes for the adults in the kids movies, which is great for adults, right? Um, but this one is legitimately hilarious. This movie is laugh out loud funny all the way through, like Susan and Alicia said. Mm-hmm. And I love all the characters in this right i mean i saw some of the other shrek movies and one's great two is hilarious and then i in my opinion the quality kind of falls off there they're all downhill all downhill but two is it just fires on all cylinders um it's it's so great to watch all these characters interact with each other and the relationships i mean this is a movie about relationships right yes I mean, I understand like sort of being intimidated by walking in, like being with someone and then meeting their family for the first time. And, you know, even though, I mean, that's such a human thing to be worried about, Mm -hmm. especially if you're different from them in some way, which of course everybody is. Right. And so um, that's so relatable or, you know, Puss and Donkey competing to be the best friend or, you know, all of that kind of stuff. I mean, and all that is so funny. They, the, it's written so well, it's so sharp. The jokes land, like all of the voice actors do such a good job just selling those jokes yeah. and make, but still like giving the characters pathos, right? So you feel like they're real people or real characters that like have wants and needs. And I mean, to your point, Susan, like a lot of this is like a couple fighting, yeah. you know, it's like, it's like not a lot of stuff you see in kids movies where they're like having a real problem with each other's families, which is super relatable. Right. Or it's just something getting in between them, but it's so much fun to watch them like put aside their own stuff and make sacrifices for the other person, which is what the whole movie's about. 
the movie's just so clever in the way that it makes these potions and things to really like play up. Like he literally changed, you know, who he was for her and then to save her. And then of course, at the end, it's like, well, the message of being true to yourself and going the extra mile for those you love is, mm -hmm. is really great, but they do it while being hilarious. Yeah. So I just <laughs> love the way they use all the side characters. I mean, you know, everyone from Pinocchio to the three blind minds, of course, Jinji, you know, that group is hilarious to watch. There are a lot of laugh out loud moments, but the moment at the end where they're fighting over the magic wand and Pinocchio gets accidentally turned into a real boy and he's so happy and then accidentally turned yeah. back into a puppet and he's so yes. sad. It's like <laughs> the funniest. You see his reaction for one second and it's just like, oh no. That joke, <laughs> that joke lasts entirety like probably two seconds yeah. right like yes. just up and then pay off and that's it and it is so funny it's just really really well done yeah i am so glad y'all feel this way what if i had made you watch a movie that you absolutely despised and oh, did not find any too. joy in <laughs> isn't it great when you can rewatch a movie and still continually find new jokes yeah or yes. little easter eggs or things that you didn't catch on the first time and even your point about you know, this is one of the first animated movies where I feel like they really stuck a bunch of jokes yeah. in there for the adults. Yeah. Yep. Like loving this movie in my younger years and now rewatching it, you know, every time I watch it, I just have something new to laugh about. And your point about the writing is is spot on. It's just so fantastic and everything really does land. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I love when like this much work gets put into kids, movies, yes. especially kids animated movies, because I feel like for a while, other than, you know, like Disney movies were taken pretty seriously, but it can be such a genre that gets written off as like, oh, that's just for kids. But I love it when they just like go all in and we're like, we're going to make this a great movie. And it doesn't matter that it's a kid's movie. It's just going to be a good movie in general. Yeah. Heck yeah. Alicia, did you have a favorite scene in the movie? Oh my God. I mean, so many scenes. I mean, anything with Puss in Boots and Donkey, yeah. like yeah. that kind of initial, like they're taking him out here for like an assassination job. And then it yep. goes completely awry. Like love all of those moments. I think honestly, the montage of when they first arrive at far, far away yep. for me is like, I have stars in my eyes. Yeah. I just get so excited and like all of like the puns and the yep. poking fun of like what you actually see day to day. That to me was so lovely and enjoyable. Yes. Yeah. And of course, to your point, like the movie at its core is about relationships mm -hmm. and is about the sacrifices we make and the way that we move in the world when we're trying to, you know, essentially please the people we love or be there for them. And I think this movie did such a great job at combining that with like humor and realism and just so much, so much comedy. I loved it. Yeah. Definitely. Also want y'all to tell me which one is better, Shrek 1 or Shrek 2? I haven't seen Shrek 1 for a while, but I laughed so much during this movie. And I remember liking Shrek, but I don't remember it being this funny in addition to being just a good plot line and a good story. So I would I would guess Shrek 2, but I would need to rewatch Shrek 1 to really That's fair. But I mean, I, this movie's hilarious. I love Shrek 1 for it being groundbreaking at the time yeah. of being like, listen, I know this is based on an old, you know, those old, what were those called? Those books? Tilted Fables or something like that. Like Tilted Fairy Tales, like um, the Big Bad Wolf one, yeah. where the wolf's the main character. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's all that kind yes. of stuff. Stuff like this had been made before, but that movie on a mainstream making fun of the fairy tales was super original to me at the time. Um, and so I really enjoyed Shrek 1 for what it was, but I love the way that Shrek 2 elevates everything. And even 
within the scenes. I think this one is better written. I'll say yeah. that. And of course, the animation improves and all of that. So that has it going forward as well. But the way that the scenes are constructed from a writing standpoint is so impressive. Like, you know, when they first meet the family, the way they complete each other's sentences. Yeah. And but I think I'm going to cut to my favorite scene, which is the dining room scene where they all sit down at the dining room table for the first time, because it's really that's where the lines are drawn. Right. And that's where, like, you know, they get really insulting with each other after, like, you know, Shrek does understand that the water is for washing your hands. It's not a soup, you know, and it's like such clear. It's like a status line. Right. Mm -hmm. And of course, Fiona's trying to, like, balance everybody. And I've also been that person in the room, too. So I'm super relatable, like, oh, these people don't really know each other and don't really like each other, but trying to make everybody happy. Right. There's a, a premise where, they, boom, these people don't like each other. And just as they're all about to break up and separate, boom, dinner comes in. And then they're all like, you know, every little moment escalates on builds on top of each other until something explodes. And just the way it right is written and everything flows so quickly. It's just effortless. The movie moves along. It's great. Mm -hmm. Susan, what's your favorite scene? Well, I mean, the two you mentioned, the finishing each other's sentences that I remember are great scenes. I also just really love when we first meet Mongo and he's walking toward the castle, yeah. super happy. And then they shoot off one of his uh, gumdrop buttons and it switches to where he's like in a rage. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I thought that was so good. and such a good callback to the first movie, yeah. but like heightened extremely. Right. That was really well done. Yeah. I love that scene. That is such a good example. Both honestly, the dining room scene, I, I remembered it, but your point about like the heightening of the tension mm -hmm. and just like, the quick cuts between like everyone's face going closer and closer and yes. you just feel the tension rising and like what's bubbling under the surface that they just can't say but they want to and then finally it explodes and i mean come on the gumdrop button mm -hmm. it, like devastating did i yeah. did i shed a tear at the time i probably yeah. did because what a lovable giant mongo is right. just so innocent yeah he was so happy and then yeah. it just Oh. And I love the little detail of when the gumdrop button hits the uh, the catapult and makes a bowling pin like it, <laughs> yes. it, it like knocks a bunch of pins over. It's so funny. Yeah. Just a little moments like that. And it's sprinkled throughout the whole movie. Uh, and the when they hit him with the hot milk and they're like more heat, less foam. Yeah. 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 So and then he comes up kind of looking like George Washington at one yeah, point yeah, yeah. with the foam. Totally. It's so good. Well, thank you for asking us to watch it again, Alicia. Was yeah, this was a great yeah. Great choice. I'm I'm so glad. We like to finish up our show today with a game that we're calling Catch That Reference. So Shrek 2 contains many references to other popular movies, and we're gonna see how many that you know. So Alicia, you're me playing against Susan. So here are the rules. I'm gonna give you clues about a film that's referenced in Shrek 2. As soon as you know the movie, shout out the title. If you're wrong, the other player will get a chance to steal. I have five movies for you to identify, and the first person to name three correctly will win our prize. And Susan, what's our prize? It's some Life in the Credits merchandise, like a shirt or a mug or a tote bag, something like that. Oh, my! well, now the stakes are high. Yeah. Now I need to win. All right, Susan. Here, I take back everything I said. I am going to kick your butt, not the okay. other way around. <laughs> All right, Alicia, are you ready to play? I am ready. I'm putting my phone on Do Not Disturb. I'm I'm serious. It was on Do Not Disturb, but it keeps going off. I'm ready. Yeah, All right, I'm ready. Susan, I'm ready. Let's Susan, you're ready. Okay. Your first film, number one. This is a film series that began in 2001. Also referenced mm -hmm. in Trek Two. This film series won 17 Academy Awards. 
Susan and I have the same face right now. (laughs) (laughs) Your third clue is these are based on books. Harry Potter. Ooh, that's a great guess, but not oh, correct. That's what I was just going to guess. So now I'm <sighs> you are very close, but um, that, that is not correct. Based on, Thanks. And it's won 17. I can't 17 remember. Academy Awards. The only other series I knew was Lord of the Rings. Yes! Uh, I was going to say Ah, uh, uh, Susan gets a point. So the other clues were, it's, of course, directed by Peter Jackson. Right. And then it stars Elijah oh. Wood, Viggo Mortensen, okay. Sean Bean, Sean Astin, and, and Ian McKellen. So, yes, you guys would have gotten it there shortly. But well done, Susan. You're on the board it's, with one point. Isn't that movie, hasn't it won, like, the most Academy Awards? I think ever? it's tied. Yeah. Uh, well, Return yeah. of the King would be the one. Right. Uh, anyways. Okay, from now on, I'm just shouting it out. Yeah. At Man, any point wait. in time. Good no, job, Susan. Okay. <laughs> right. I mean, I would have guessed Harry Potter, and then you would have gotten Lord of the Rings if it had been one second later. So, <laughs> here's your second movie okay. that was referenced in Shrek Two, I should say. The first film was released in 1996. The seventh film in the series is releasing this summer. Avengers? No. I'm sorry, that's not correct. Susan, do you have a guess? No. All right, we're going to keep going. 96? Is it in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Can I it's ask you not, that? It's not in the Marvel Universe, no. Your next clue is based on a TV show. Well, it can't be the Fast and the Furious because there are like 97 of those. Right. So that wouldn't yeah, count. They're well past seven. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a very good guess, though. All right, hmm. next clue. These films are known for their insane stunts. Is it um John Wick? Oh, no, no, but you're thinking in the right way. I'll say that. What, um, What's the James Bond? Oh, my God. You're so close. Jason you're, Bourne. Oh, my God. Keep going. Oh, no. Uh, Susan, next, popcorn to you. I have no idea. The, no, um, the next one's going to give it give it away. Oh, OK, I'm ready. It stars Tom Cruise. Mission Impossible. Yes. There's a. There's seven Mission Impossible Yes, movies? there are seven Mission Impossible movies. I thought there were like three. Yeah. Wait, <laughs> no. me too. Susan, we go to all of those movies. I think I do. I love those movies. Susan has just mentally combined all of these movies yeah, in her maybe mind. <laughs> it also stars Ving Rhames. one coming out this summer? Oh, yeah. Oh, Rebecca man. Ferguson, Michelle Monaghan, and Simon Pegg. Not been paying attention. I have, and I'm excited. We're yeah. going, well, I'm going to go see Mission Impossible, possibly without Susan. <laughs> Yeah, how many John Wick movies are there? There's really the fourth before. one just came yeah. out. But that okay. was okay. Yes, because eventually they'll get to seven. Oh yeah, yeah, I hope so. All right, that's one to one. Okay, tied up. All right, your next movie. The first film came out in two thousand two. It was also featured in Trick Two. Your next clue: the main character has been featured in nine films since two thousand and two as the main character. See, I want to say Harry Potter, but I already said that. And I don't think there were nine films. And Harry Potter's not referenced in Shrek oh. 2. Okay, let's drop the hand. You know what, Alicia? Get over Harry Potter. We got to okay. move on. From no, that. I mean, I like your headset. <laughs> it's a good guess. Nine films. Your next clue. Based on a comic book. He's appeared in nine films. He's been the main character. He's appeared in more than nine films, but he's been the main character in nine is it bat- well batman's not the name it's not batman is it spider-man yes very oh. good alicia yes yes so your your next clues were directed by sam raimi oh. and it stars toby mcguire willem dafoe kirsten dunst and james franco nice. so well done all right so that makes two it to two to one okay 
All right, we got Ooh, two right. more to go. But if Leisha gets one more, she wins. Okay. Oh, man. All right. Your next film, first clue. The first film in this series was released in 1979. It's a sci-fi horror film. Oh, this is not what I thought you were going to say. I was thinking of a movie reference I remember from the film, but it doesn't fit that description. <laughs> sci-fi horror sci-fi horror that was referenced in track two so we're eliminating star trek we're eliminating (laughs) definitely not star trek that's right might give it away oh let's go it was directed by ridley scott the creatures were designed by hr geiger oh it's alien yes oh i have never seen alien so the scene where they first meet puss in boots Puss jumps into Shrek's clothes and bursts oh, out of his chest, out, like just a- like in the film Alien. Yeah. That is clearly referenced there. All right. Well, good job. I'd not all right. that. Shrek, too, coming in with the like iconic movie references yeah. across all genres yeah. fantasy, all genres. sci fi, action. Yeah. Yes. Everything. Everything. So it's two to two. We got one more movie. Okay. And it's the hardest one of all. Okay. Oh, Susan and I <laughs> are prepared to be on here for another hour. Let's we'll go. Know this because we're going to edit, but this game is taking two years to finish. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. We got one left and whoever gets it wins. Wins. Okay. All right. So focus up. Here we go. Your first clue. This movie was released in 1939. A classic. Yeah. <laughs> Very much. It won two Academy Awards for Best Score and Best Sound. Mm -hmm. Number three, it was based on a book. Number four, it was directed by Victor Fleming. Number five, it has a very famous pair of shoes. The Wizard of Oz? Yes! Alicia, you called it out! Nice job. Okay. So there was a very clear reference to flash dance in this movie with the chair and yes, the water. <laughs> I did not do the flash I'm dance. Waiting for you to say that. <laughs> Susan has been on the edge of her seat this whole waiting. game. She had that one locked and loaded, and I did not. And use I, it. I don't know what I don't remember what year that movie came out. So it's like maybe seventy nine, and then you obviously said sci fi, and I was like, that's not a sci fi movie nope. that I'm aware of. Well, That's congratulations. Hilarious. You oh, my Susan, you and I were really in that together. I, I feel a new kinship to you. Just yeah. I, I have to really brush up on my movies. That was so fun. I had no idea Shrek referenced all of those movies. And many, many more. So check out Shrek 2 for all those references and nice. uh, see how many you can catch. All right. <laughs> All right, well, we do want to ask one more question that can lead into your plug if you want it to, but let's go be on Survivor because you're a big Survivor fan. What would your strategy be to outwit, outplay, outlast? (laughs) This may be one of the most important questions I have ever answered (laughs) in my entire life. And I I often answer it myself. You know, when you love a show and you're like, if I were on this show, yeah. What would I do? Survivor, of course, iconic CBS show. Shout out to my parent company. I'm just <laughs> one big, you know, plug for them. I think my strategy, I'm very competitive mm-hmm. for context. Like if I am even playing like a silly little backyard game of like badminton or, you know, anything, I, I just like, I get so locked in. But I think my strategy on Survivor would have to be to kind of start out under the radar. Right. You want to go in there 
you want to be pleasant to be around. You want to connect with people. You have to kind of like show up and do your part at camp. I actually, my senior year of college, my my final video project for a class was like putting together my survivor audition portfolio. And someone, I had to interview people and someone said that like, I would be the person that would try to make camp like comfortable, like set up a little living room or like put together a nice little, like, I don't know, like a leaf corner and like, oh, look at all the pretty leaves. Let's distract ourselves from being stranded out in the wild. So I think kind of going in with the under the radar approach, you know, pulling my weight in challenges around camp. And almost kind of being like a little snake in the grass, like getting everyone's ear, hearing who do we like, who do we not like, who are we gunning for, letting the big kind of physical and strategic threats kind of like find their places and then slowly start to like pull some secret moves on the side, you know, maybe form some secret alliances, maybe go find a hidden immunity idol when everyone's asleep and I'm like, oh, it's 6 a.m. I got to go pee, you know, as I'm sure everyone does. Yeah. And then I think from there, like making a big shocking move is always huge. You're always going to kind of piss a bunch of people off, but it's kind of necessary. You really have to build up that resume. And then from there, just trying to kind of like, I'm not like the most physical person. I could definitely be like a help in challenges, but I think the strategy and the personal relationships would have to be my approach. Yeah. I would, I would hope so. That's, I think that's a great strategy. That's a perfect strategy. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I, I've just given it away, so I'll have to change the whole thing. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay. Alicia, thank you so yeah. much for joining us Is today. Is there anything else you want to plug before oh, we yeah. go? Jeff Probst, Survivor Casting yeah. People. My Instagram is at Alicia Safari. TikTok at Alicia.Safari. No, um, all that aside. <laughs> no, I mean, I think my biggest plug, you know, obviously... Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Love that. CBS. Shout out to our apprenticeship program. If you are a young, diverse candidate, not even young, you can be any aspect of life. You can be a veteran. You can be an adult. You could be seasoned in your career. You could be, you know, a few years out of college. But if there, you know, if you feel like you have not had the opportunity to get into the entertainment industry, or you feel like you have the experience, but you just don't have the ends, like, please, please, please apply please reach out. I mean, I can't answer every message I get on LinkedIn, but I try. Um, And yeah, I guess those are my big plugs. Awesome. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining today, Alicia. It was such a pleasure to chat. This was really fun. Oh, thank you guys. I mean, this was so enjoyable. Thanks for watching Shrek 2 for me. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I do. Life in the Credits is hosted and produced by me, Susan Swarner. And me, Ben Bloom. It's executive produced by Michelle Levin. The music is written and performed by Steve Trowbridge. You can hear more of Steve's music at TrowbridgeSounds.com. The show logo is created by Melissa Durkin. If you'd like to support Life in the Credits and get access to exclusive perks, you can do so at Patreon.com. If you'd like to follow or get a hold of us, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Life in the Credits or shoot us an email at lifeinthecredits at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Let's go. know this because we're going to edit, but this game is taking two years to finish. <laughs> <laughs>